Hello, I'm Niall Brown, and welcome to this episode of the Movies in Focus podcast. This time around, I'm joined once again by City University of New York lecturer and film historian James Kenny. The last time he was on the podcast, he talked about discovering the original cut of Peter Bogdanovich's Squirrels to the Nuts. And now he discusses G. Malik Linton's surrealist religious drama, Daughter of God. Starring Keanu Reeves and Anna de Armas, the film was recut by producers, who removed almost 40 minutes, and released it under the generic title of Exposed. This gutted the release, diluted the performances of Reeves and de Armas, and turned the film into a plodding and rudderless thriller. James Kenny reveals how he discovered the director's cut of Daughter of God, and how he's attempting to show the lost film to audiences. As always, I hope you enjoy our discussion. Well, thank you for joining me again. It's uh, it's good to have you back. Thank you, thank you. It's, uh, it's exciting times. I keep, uh, my hobby keeps uncovering new eccentric things to share with the world, right? <laughs> well, do you know what? And it's great that you, you're, you're discovering, I mean, even from someone who's interested in film to actually see different versions of, and how drastically different things can be once somebody sort of starts messing around with it. I think it's fantastic. So keep doing it. Keep keep digging them up. <laughs> I will endeavor. I mean, this might be you know, as I'm a I'm a university uh, professor, you know, so yeah. that's that's my main gig. So it's sort of a uh, yeah. I mean, I it was it's. I mean, we'll talk about it. I guess it's a little funny how this one came up after Squirrels to the Nuts. I didn't really expect <laughs> expect it, but um. You know, so maybe maybe Magnificent Amberson's next, right? Maybe the Orson Welles. Well, do you know, I was gonna I was gonna make that joke, yeah, that uh, you'll probably be the man to find it and uh, <laughs> unleash it under the world. <laughs> but um, so so how do you want to start? Just uh, what do you want? Well, to I mean, how did Daughter of God come into your orbit and sort of every, everything about it, or and or exposed? Which which yes. presumably exposed came first? Well, yes. I mean, I guess I actually um, see. I, I've been on the Anna de Armas train for a while, you know, because I believe I saw, which you know, some people did, but some people didn't. I saw Knock Knock, the Eli Roth film, with her and Keanu Reeves in 2016. I mean, I, I believe she made that right before they made Daughter of God. Um, uh, and I saw it back then, and I and I and I'm not an Eli Roth fan, but I liked that film. I thought it was a very funny, dark comedy. You know, just really brutal you know, comedy of embarrassment, you know, like that, that a guy can, you know, empathize with. And I thought she was excellent. Um, and I am also a student of what I call stealth cinema. And, that, and and these days it's so prevalent, it's not really a surprise, but there was a period where you really had the strange period where actors like Robert De Niro and Al Pacino were appearing in these straight-to-video films, um, you know, that, that were so separate from their main career. I mean, they were both still doing theatrical films that of import, yeah. but then suddenly Robert De Niro would show up in a 50 cent movie. I forgot the name of the one I'm even thinking of, but him and yeah. Forrest Whitaker are like supporting actors in a dreadful 50 cent straight to video film um, where it's very different than the olden days. Like when Jim Wynorski and Fred Olin Ray would make films in the eighties and the nineties that were straight for video, you know, they'd have actors who had seen better days. I mean, maybe like Eric Roberts or somebody, you know, or, yeah. or maybe even like a treat Williams who, who was a good actor, but didn't quite break out as a star. So he would get a good paycheck doing some low budget film with Wynorski. But here you had um, a film like red lights, just to give an example, which has Sigourney Weaver, Robert De Niro as a blind psychic. Um, <laughs> And I tell my friends, and I'm like, yeah, there's this good De Niro film. I like that film pretty well. 
And they're like, what are you talking about? You know, it, it, these are really films that were, I guess he got a few million dollars for a few days work or whatever. Um, so I guess they figured out the math for this. And so pretty much as I'm getting older, you know, I just turned the wrong side of 50. You know, a lot of the actors that I grew up liking were suddenly appearing in these things. John Cusack, you know, yeah. um, uh, Gibson, I, Bruce Willis. The... Yeah, I mean, Gibbs, Gibson held out a little bit, actually, but he's doing them all the time. Now, Bruce Willis, you're right, is, is, had started doing them a few years ago or about a decade ago again. Nicolas Cage, of course. Yeah, Travolta. And, yes, yes, absolutely. And see, people sort of forget this now, but Keanu Reeves was kind of floating around there, too, because while I guess the first John Wick was a hit, it, you know, like a lot of these things these days, it became a phenomena after the first film. Yeah. It was It was a success, but other than John Wick, um, you know, he like a lot of actors, he was in his late 50s or mid 50s. And I think uh, he was he was still like paychecks. And he, he suddenly appeared in things like Knock Knock, which I enjoyed, but which was did not get a real theatrical release uh, in the US anyway. And then Exposed, which is the which is the first version of this I saw the one directed by Declan Dale, who is who is not G Malik uh, yes. Linton. <laughs> um, and if I will, I'll just remind a little bit of the response exposed got because um it did play theatrically like in a theater like in new york city like it would do one one, show one of those contractual things where yep. they just go right it's played and, um and so it starred keanu reeves and it starred anna de Armas again after after knock knock um and mira servino is another name in it um uh and glenn kenny uh, uh, uh in the new york times described it as a heartfelt but ineptly crafted story <laughs> um and Michael uh, Rechstoffen in the LA Times said uh, Keanu, Keanu's latest is exposed as a really bad movie. <laughs> he said, uh, it's hard to imagine how anything salvageable could have been made out of the comically pretentious script with its heavily religious overtones and plotting that grows more ridiculous by the minute. Um, and I think Glenn Kenny also said something along those lines too. Um, where he basically said, I wouldn't want to see a director's cut of this. It's so bad. You know, that, that's that's what was his his yeah. initial response. And I'm not, I'm not doing this to mock Glenn Kenny, who's a very sharp critic. It's because, though, people always forget how, you know, cutting out a quarter of a movie or a third of a movie can drastically alter it. Yeah. You know? um, that exposed to me when I saw it was quite bad. It was, and I think Glenn uh, or, uh, said, when he called it heartfelt, I agreed. It was clearly like an ambitious film of some sort. You know, it's it was um, in in the film, which I'm not going to give too much away about. But people, many people may have seen Exposed, or a fair number of people may have seen Exposed. But Anna de Armas is this religious woman in the Dominican community in Washington Heights, New York, which is Upper Manhattan, who starts seeing visions of angels at the same time Keanu Reeves is investigating the murder of his corrupt uh, partner, and. You know, and there, and so the whole thing with these these angels and stuff was certainly eccentric, you know, for, for yeah. a, a straight-to-video kind of film. Um, but the film was really dull, actually. I just thought, like, you know, it just sort of plotted, you know, and, and, and it's... And it's yeah, it well, that's because it was sort of... It's sort of pitched as a detective film where there's... Or a thriller where there's very little detecting and there's very little thrills, you know, very few thrills, you know, so it's... Well, it kind of just yeah. rolls along. Yeah, no, I mean, it really felt that there was a bit of, um, you know, that, that, yes, it was sold. And as we find out, it was recut to emphasize Keanu Reeves' part. 
and de-emphasize Anna de Armas' part, which sounds insane, but in 2016, nobody knew who she was, you know, and so... And so the late, so the studio or the producer, I mean, it's a funny enough story. I want to tell it the right way, but obviously they were just like, Hey, let's put Keanu Reeves with a gun on the cover, you know, um, edit a trailer that makes it look like a thriller, you know, and then just yeah. dump it out there. Um, which as you talked about, or you brought up briefly, I mean, I think the 21st century, cause now we have an example of a great director like Peter Bogdanovich and, and a, in his final film and, and a first time director like G Malik Linton, um, both getting their films, you know, abused. And I feel the digital era has become a very dangerous era. I mean, I think the whole, you know, computers are going to destroy us, like Terminator 2, you know, <laughs> us. Um, you know never mind the AI that's going to write screenplays now and things like that. But, um, you know, that producers now can pretend they're creative and just say, go in the room and say, move that there and move that there. And it's a much easier process than it was in 1979. Yeah. Um and so basically exposed was quite bad. Now, the thing, the thing I guess I didn't quite make clear is in both those reviews I just quoted, the word had gotten out that the movie had been recut, that G. Malik Linton had taken his name off of it and Declan Dale was a pseudonym. Um, and that's why Glenn Kenny said, I can't imagine wanting to see the director's cut. He knew one was out there somewhere. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm a film enthusiast and, and again, um, don't hold it against me because it all worked out right. But but you know, I store things like that. You know, I keep things like that in my head. It, it's like me searching for years for the squirrels to cut squirrels to the nuts cut that nobody admitted existed, <laughs> and then I found it. You know, so on eBay, no less. Yeah, on eBay. So so basically, um, I was aware. That this is where this is different. Is uh, what had happened is I guess to tell the story chronologically is. As another example of Keanu Reeves being a pretty decent guy, well, let me explain, I guess, how the film was set up was, was G. Malik Linton, I guess, was sort of, I don't want to call him a struggling screenwriter, but he hadn't made a film yet, you know, and I know he'd had some gigs writing scripts. And he'd actually gotten this film, what it, what is now Daughter of God, that we're about to talk about, set up with Philip Seymour Hoffman in the part that Keanu Reeves was going to play. He actually right. did have some sort of green light. Um so what happened, although, is P Philip Seymour Hoffman died, unfortunately, and and the project. Uh, fell apart and apparently he had been writing a script um that was going to be shot by chuck russell the director of the mask the, the jim yeah. carrey the mask and um eraser i guess i'm sure i'm forgetting some other titles but paradise uh, city with bruce willis and john travolta oh that, that that's that's now yeah <laughs> that was that was then this is now but but with keanu reeves so this wasn't quite as grade c as paradise city this was going to be a theatrical film i think because it was some sort of karate or action film I, I don't know the details of it other than what he told me in conversationally. Um, but then apparently there was a falling out between Keanu Reeves and Chuck Russell. I don't, I don't mean necessarily a brutal or horrible one, but just the way projects fall apart and people walk away. I don't know the details. Um, but, and so G. Malik Linton was obviously pretty upset in a sense, like, man, I'm about to get a film produced and uh, it's been canceled. But Keanu Reeves said to him, hey, let's do that little Spanish thing of yours, referring to Daughter of God. Because... Um, in G. Malik Linton's original script, the film is realistic in the sense that it shoots on the real streets of New York and in, 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 uh, in Washington Heights, and the Dominican characters speak Spanish with each other. You know, they don't speak English with a Spanish yeah. accent. 
and so this goes back to Reed's the kind of artist we all know exists going back to my private Idaho and a million other things. I mean, like even little indie films like generation um may not be very good, but he's willing to do indie things yeah. and not just do commercial things. The, the, um, the old school where it was like one for me, one for yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. And he's one of the few left who had some cachet. I think you could pull that off, you know, uh, so, so I guess the idea was he, he knew what the script was. It was a film that focused on a female uh, Latina protagonist. Um, and the Caucasian cop it was a supporting part, but he was okay with that. I mean, he read the script. He knew what it was. And so they shot this film um, and the shoot went pretty well, as far as I know. I mean, from what I've heard and the actors were supportive. And um, But then what happened was uh, one of the producers and... You know, he didn't name to me which one it was, but I but I note one of the producers on this film is that producer who got in the papers in the last year for producing all the Bruce Willis films. Yes. And there were some articles about him, you know, with some people not particularly thrilled with the way he does things. But I, it, he doesn't do anything particularly horrible to G. Malik Linton. I'm not trying to throw this guy under the bus. But one of the producers came to G. Malik Linton while they were editing the film and said, oh, I finally read the script last night. That that he didn't know what they were shooting. <laughs> um <laughs> Which is crazy, and, yeah. Well, but this goes back to, I think, the straight-to-video era where what Linton said, which, which I believe was 100% true, is when Keanu Reeves said he wanted to do it, a thousand producers will jump on it saying, I'll produce a Keanu Reeves film. You know, I would like to think in the olden days they were a little bit more interested in the actual product that they were yeah. going to look at the script. Um, but they can't say what G. Malik Linton made, which is a very strange film, largely in Spanish, um, and with a very deliberate pace, meaning one reason I think Exposed doesn't work is if a film's designed to be 130 minutes, often a 93-minute version can be slower because the scenes weren't designed to be cut quickly or anything yeah. like that. Um, and so Exposed really just sits there quite flat, while Daughter of God is a long, challenging film. I think, you know, it has a weird eccentric rhythm where you kind of say, okay, something's going on here. I don't quite know what it is. Um and it pays off at the end. Um, but what happened is, so, so basically, yes, he was either removed from the film or walked away from the film. Um, yeah, I don't want to speak out of turn here, meaning I didn't get confirmations of all of this. I mean, he obviously left the film. Um, and what people don't realize is how hard it is to get a director's name off a film. He did have to go to arbitration with the Director's Guild. Um, and they watched both versions. And Christopher Nolan was in charge of the committee um, that watched both versions. Uh, and he got a note from Christopher Nolan, loved your version, hated theirs, look forward to what you do next. And then he got the green light to take his name off of it. So I would just say the only thing that might have tipped uh, those initial reviewers, such as Glenn Kenny off, is not only was the film officially recut, but to get his name taken off of it, the DGA had to agree this was an appreciably different film than the one he made. You know, that, that yeah. basically, if they just cut at it a little bit, he would have been not denied the ability to take his name off. Um so the film's taken away uh, or, or re recut. His his name was taken off of it. Uh, it came out and in, in one of those be befuddling to me things anyway, it's like, why even do it? if you Because the film gets dumped anyway. Why not yeah. just dump his version? <laughs> you know? I agree with And especially sticking a, a title like Exposed on it, which is just a terrible, terrible title. Generic title at best. You know? yeah. and, uh, uh, but, but again, Exposed sounds like a straight-to-video thriller where Daughter of God sounds like an art film in a sense, perhaps, yeah. you know. Um, and uh, and although it's a very eccentric reading of it, it is kind of a religious film. I wouldn't say a religious film in the way most people think, you know. It's not one of those yeah. left-behind movies. But um, So what happened was 
apparently Keanu is, is proving to be a good guy as, as, as he's, he, he was, he was talking to the director and said, you got to get your cut back together. You know, he, he was trying to, apparently he says Keanu inspired him. He was kind of like, ah, I don't know, or exhausted or whatever. Um, and then this is kind of interesting because it's, I don't know if it's entirely clear, but I believe what really happened is G never really finished his original cut. You know, they, they started getting fr- angry with it or whatever, as he was doing it. Right. Um, and obviously it doesn't help to not have supportive producers. And so what happened though, is he somehow went and was able to raise money um, to go to Paris and work with, I, I'm going to mispronounce his name, Hervé Deleuze or, or whatever, a uh, French editor, Oscar nominated editor for Polanski's The Pianist. And he worked with right. Polanski many times. Um, and somehow they got funding to have this guy cut the film. So it is true. The version that, I saw that I showed to my class that is premiering was cut after the, the exposed cut. It's this is not the exact cut he had before. Um, so he, he was able to refine it and kind of make it sort of well, retrospectively yeah. better in a sense. Yeah. In other words, I, I think he says very honestly, which is interesting in the interview I did with him for my, my website or, or, or he actually, he spoke to my students and I quoted it was he said, um, well, the, you know, the edit makes a film. He's, a, he's a convinced now, having made a film, how different it can be depending on how you edit it. And that the editor, in other words, he originally was cutting it very close to his script and wasn't satisfied with it himself. But no, um, he actually did, he, it was a funny story. He brought the film to um, the editor in France and, and this editor, you know, the, he didn't want the director in the room. It was like, no, 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 I'll work on it. And then you see what I did. And then you can complain or tell me to change things. But but the idea was the classic structure where the editor does his editing and the director's not sitting there just yeah. micromanaging. And so he came in and he goes, and, and G said it was really eye-opening that he found the movie by doing some things differently. It was more like his original script you know, even though he shifted some things around, it's like all the intents he wanted, all, all the ideas he was trying to get across, the editor had figured out how to do it. Um, and so he loved this version, but it it was not official. He wasn't allowed to show this anywhere, I think. Um, so what happened was he did have a couple of, you know, underground screenings. I don't want to use a melodramatic term, but it did. he did screen it in Europe, I guess in Paris after they did it. Um, and then somehow the cut ended up on the internet. You know, it ended up on Reddit and, and, and these websites. Um, so a few people saw it and a few people wrote blogs about it. You know, I wasn't the first person to ever see this, but again, uh, the only way I call myself heroic is five years later, you know, nobody was talking about this movie. <laughs> nobody remembered it. <laughs> nobody would have thought twice about it. And I, I, not that I was trying to fo- come up with a follow-up to uh, Squirrels to the Nuts, but I guess maybe I felt emboldened, you know, I'm like, Hey, you know, yeah, I got a movie playing in the museum of modern art and, 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 um, and I said, wait a minute, I remember that other film that I'm intrigued by because I like Keanu Reeves, I liked Anna de Armas. Um, I know there's a director's cut out there. And the one thing I kind of put together was, wait a minute, Anna de Armas is about to be nominated for an Oscar for, for Blonde. Yeah. Um, and, and even without that, she had started Knives Out and Blade Runner. I'm like, I can't believe people wouldn't want to see more of Anna de Armas, even if the film doesn't really work. You know, it's like, she's a serious actor. She's one of the the few actresses right now that I think are getting any attention at all. You know, she's one of the 15 actresses who are in play, yeah. as you say, you know? Um, and so I, I saw the version on the internet and as I, I, it took me about 15 minutes to say, oh, okay, um, this is really interesting. You know, it's like, this is a wildly ambitious film by a first time director that 
has a very strange structure. I think I've mentioned that I feel in a lot of ways it's similar to Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me because I feel Anna's yeah. character goes through this really terrible trial of, of horrible things. <laughs> That's it. It's almost... Uh like she's on a, a conveyor belt, you know, that's sort of just moving through and the rest of the things sort of happen as she goes past, you know, and, and even the sort of the, the, the Keanu Reeves subplot is yeah. sort of just there as as that sort of main line just sort of moves at its own pace. Well, I mean, the tricky thing, which I think we, we have to sort of address is I don't really want to talk too specifically about the film because the no. film does have kind of a sixth sense ending. In other words, yes. unlike films like Sixth Sense, though, because it comes off sort of like kitchen sink reality for a while. You know, it's like, um, I mean, the film is really brutalized in the shortcut. Never mind the cynical way they actually revoiced a lot of the Spanish dialogue into English. Like, like the first scene where you have somebody's watching her and her brother-in-law from across the street at a club. Yeah. That was all in Spanish in G's version. It's all in English in, in, yeah. in um, the recut version. But by cutting the film down, um, it's like, and some of my students pointed this out because what happened is I showed it to my Bronx Community College students and my students at St. John's University as well. Because the Bronx Community College students, especially, they live across a bridge from Washington Heights. It's basically their neighborhood. And my students are very Dominican, you know, probably 50% Dominican. Um, and so it was their world. And the film, um, the short version, basically turns her into kind of a religious eccentric, that she's an yeah. extremely religious woman. But you only see the family kind of rolling their eyes when she's doing her long prayers at the beginning of the film. And they cut out all the stuff, all the stuff that makes it clear she's actually probably the most beloved member of that community. That yeah. that, that people um, hire her, ex, uh, her ex-con brother-in-law because she asked them to. Um, and I think this is very realistic and interesting that the, the sister-in-law rolls her eyes when she prays, but then also begs her to pray for her. You know, it's like that kind of yeah. like, she's not a very religious person, but please pray for me so my boyfriend will ask me to marry me and this and that. And they removed all this stuff that makes her this full-bodied character. Um, and and uh, you may have noticed this or, you know, that even things like, for example, when she's first in the club at the beginning, She's she's in her own world. She's not really participating in this discotheque where they're all at. And she's thinking of making love to her husband. There's a flashback or whatever, or a fantasy or whatever it is of her and making yeah. love to her husband. And in the recut version, they replace it with a shot of her just lying in bed with him, like after, I would assume, you know, a post-coital activity. And I thought some, it may seem, well, what's the big deal? Although that's why I'm wondering why they even changed it in the first place. But in the long version, she's a full-bodied person. She's extremely yeah. religious, but she has a perfectly pro proper carnal relationship with her husband. You know, she's not like some frigid religious, you know, anything like that. Um, and then another major sequence, which was was kind of destroyed, is when she's talking to her husband via Zoom, who's he's yes. in the military off in Iraq. They probably cut 75% of the scene out. And and this is this is humorous. Three times in the scene, she kind of opens her shirt up to reveal her breast to him. We don't see them. This is not, you know, but just between her and her husband, really. And the short version cuts it down to once and then redubs most of the dialogue in English, too. And to me, that's an essential thing because her doing it once could be just her husband demands it and she kind of does it for him. But the three times shows they're in love. They're playful yeah. with each other. She's enjoying being with him. And so I think the short version uh, makes her sort of this religious eccentric who ends up kind of 
having a breakdown where the other one she's like a full-bodied member of her community who has yeah um, and i think i i could be wrong i'm misremembering but the the dinner table sequence where she tells the family that she saw the angel they yes. cut out the first half of that in the the well, they they did, I mean, I, I believe they did. I mean, they cut a lot of the movie out. Yeah, and, well, that's and it. They moved sequences around too. Yeah. Um. And and there's and there's a bit later on where she tells them some very troubling news that they get very upset about. And in the original version, everybody storms off, and there's just the little boy playing with his video game. He's he's embarrassed. He doesn't know what to do. He's avoiding eye contact with her. It's a beautiful shot because it feels real. It feels lived in, and they cut it out. You know, they, they don't, yeah. that's not in the short version. And they just um, put in more scenes of Keanu Reeves sitting on a chair, which seems to be... Well, they, they yeah, they grabbed every bit of footage of Keanu Reeves they could find, I think, because what's funny is Glenn Kenny really attacks in his review in the New York Times a dialogue sequence that G. Malik Linton cut out. It's not in his longer version. Um, and so you feel that, fair enough, probably Linton saw it and said, yeah, this doesn't work, you know, and removed it. Yeah. But, the, but, the, but the producers were like, if it's got Keanu, we're putting it, you know, in the movie. And there's sequences of him sitting in a bar, not doing much of anything that they put back in. Um, but what, so what ultimately happened is, so they recut this film and then it builds actually, this is why I was even thinking of Twin Peaks, um, that unlike Sixth Sense, which is a genre film or The Usual Suspects, which is a genre film, this kind of plays as like a realistic drama. So you're not entirely sure it's going to build to any kind of crazy ending. Yeah. And yet it does an ending that recontextualizes everything you've seen uh, throughout the film, um, and 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 among other things that I, I believe, you know, if Miramax had this film back in the the height of Miramax, they might have gotten an Academy Award nomination for De Armas because she has this extremely yeah. difficult part that builds to an extended one take shot you know, that, that is that's sort of remarkable. And in the short version, they cut that in about half or maybe even a yeah. third of the length. Um, and in my way, in my feeling, it's a disturbing sequence, but I feel it's it's more disturbing because the whole idea is you're supposed to be disturbed. You know, it's not. Well, yeah. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned Miramax because yeah. it's got a very sort of mid '90s feel to it, you know. And even the look, sort of the the cinematography, the colors, it's, it's very muted, almost kind of like the concrete of of the the city, that sort of thing. And it, it's got that very kind of Miramaxy vibe from that era. I mean, the trouble is Weinstein probably would have cut this too, though. But, but that's yeah, well, that's true, yeah. <laughs> um, but like, for example, I mean, the movie is so utterly different than Exposed, despite being, it's more similar to Exposed than Squirrels to the Nuts is to She's Funny that yeah. way. But, but what's funny is to me, in all the key ways, it's different. So for example, there's a scene with Keanu Reeves in the squad car where he puts a ring on his finger. And in the original film, it's much more eccentric and it's actually sort of his redemption arc that Keanu Reeves is a cynical cop. The first time we see him, he's beating a witness while the wife and the children, the child watch. But something about this case triggers something in him. And he, and, and, and sort of by the end of the film, he's almost like the one person on her side, you know? Who's, yeah. who's, um, and what happens is he opens an evidence bag fairly, fairly early on or relatively early in the movie and takes her wedding ring out, which was found at, at a subway station. Um, and he puts it on her finger, on his finger while he's driving, which in the in the recut version, they're, they're just they, they basically put it much later in the film, and you can infer it's his wife, his wedding, his own wedding ring, because his wife yeah. has died before the movie began. And he's putting it back on. And um, it's like 
such an artless revision of something that was kind of offbeat and eccentric and made you and made you stick with the movie because the movie is slow and you don't quite know where it's going but there's always some something interesting that makes you go i'm not sure if this guy knows what he's doing because it's a first time director yeah. But then there's something that happens that goes, well, maybe he does know what he's doing, you know, like, you know, and, and I think the short version loses all that. It's just a graceless. You well, know. the short version is very just choppy. You know, it, it yep. seems kind of whittled down to their barest moments and just kind of thrown together and arranged in a way that is trying to make a detective story that's not really the story of the film, you know? Well, I feel, again, it's like if somebody took Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me, recut it to 89 minutes and just tried to make it a murder mystery. Yeah. You know? <laughs> because, um, you know, in a sense, um, so, because so what happened is I, I, I said, I'm curious about this. So I showed both versions of the film to my students and to a fail, I mean, I don't, I don't know if this is hope for the future because I still think the rich people running the world have no idea what they're doing, but... <laughs> They, I mean, again, honestly, 15 out of 20, maybe three or four of them didn't like it. Fair enough, Daughter of God. 15 of them loved it. And again, they were writing these, you know, these intricate things like the quotes, you know, I think I, if you don't mind me quoting, it no. made me angry, but good angry, one of my students <laughs> said. Um, the movie confused me up until the last 10 minutes. And at that point, when it was all explained, I felt so dumb. You tell yourself, why couldn't I think of that? Then desperately hit rewind to see what else you missed. So again, you have a generation that I think was raised on Marvel films, and yet when forced to watch this in my class, I mean, they weren't hostile. They were excited to see an unreleased Keanu Reeves film, but yeah. it's still not the type of film they usually see. They, they were they rose to it. Another student said, Daughter of God by G. Malik Linton seems incoherent, sloppy, and intriguing. This is pretty good writing. You know, right? yeah, well. college students. It is difficult for the viewer to piece together a coherent storyline throughout most of the film. The director, Linton, chose to cut the film in seemingly random spots and scenes, almost as if he was half asleep while directing the film. In reality, every scene in misdirection was calculated and intentional. And pieced together, I see Linton curated a phenomenal storyline. Um, you know, Daughter of God is a beautiful mess. <laughs> you know, um, you know and, and, and here's what the student says. Uh, the differences between the two cuts affected the movie to the same degree that adding water to a fabulous bottle of wine would affect your night. It is brutal. <laughs> the updated cuts decrease the intimacy between the characters and the viewer. Consequently, the plot becomes more distant. This is a pretty mature yeah. response to a film. And a um, very clear understanding of what had gone on with... Yeah, they, 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 they could see. Yeah, And I think partially because oh, it was their world, they were very sensitive to the fact that wow, whatever this film is, it's really showing Washington Heights and, and the complicated relationships and how religion and crime are both kind of there all the time. So like the, yeah. like the, the brother-in-law is trying to get out of the criminal life, but it's it's like, uh, I think Mel Gibson says in Tequila Sunrise, nobody really wants me to quit. You know, the cops just want to keep harassing me. The the bad guys, you know, keep wanting me to yeah. be involved. And, um, and, and then the recut version just really neuters the feeling of community, which he was clearly working so hard on. Yeah, and, and one and one sympathetic thing I want to say though too is because this was sort of a direct, a work cut, meaning he put it back together. I do believe um, that if if this was the version he was going to release, if he had a chance to release it, he would have added a couple more transition shots and things back into it. You know that this was the yeah. version. One thing exposed has is like you'll have a scene and then they'll show 
an exterior of a building, you know, the classic grammar, okay, it's later in the day now or something like that. Yeah. And but even, long, even, the, even the, the, the released, the original version, but the, the first version that was released, that's got a couple of sort of random sort of shots in between right. sort of scenes, which feel kind of very kind of just chopped together. I mean, part of it though, again, too, is his eccentric. I mean, I think it's eccentric by design a little bit too, that, you know, it's sort of like, no, we're, you know, we got to keep you off kilter. And maybe if a scene seems to fade out and come back to the same exact scene by the ending of the movie, you'll understand more why that happened. And I think, I think he really trusts or risks, you know, um, the viewer sticking around because, you know, early on there'll be a scene where she reacts eccentrically to a bunch of plantains at a bodega and you don't really know what's going on in it, but it's not like he's incompetent. 71 minutes later, you'll understand, you know, what was going yeah. on. Um, and that's the thing. It, it's, it's an art film. It's not a commercial, you know, which was then sort of repurposed as yes. a, a commercial sort of, I'll say thriller, but it's not really just a, a detective film. You know, I mean, I think it just, every, Keanu Reeves comes off much better in this one because he's kind of playing this muted character who's a supporting character. You know, he, yeah. he, he doesn't explain. And and, um, and, and and he has more of an arc in the longer version. One of the strange edits they made was there's a scene where he's upset in his car and he's been avoiding his son. I mean, he is sort of shut down. Yeah. And he, and he opens up a birthday card and ends up calling his son. Which is a and great scene in The Daughter of God. Yeah, well, it's 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 mostly there in both versions, but in Linton's version, the scene begins with him having one of those moments that we all have where he's actually beating his own head. He's like so upset with himself, and he's sort of like, ah, and he's banging his own head. For some reason, they move that to the end of the scene in Exposed. It's there, but it's at the end of the scene. And I think, you know, in Daughter of God, it's like it follows a scene with him and Mira Sorvino where he gets some information he doesn't want to get. And he's and he's sort of disgusted with himself. It's like, no, he's hit bottom. And him calling his son is part of his sort of returning to reality. Yeah. And, and and also, I think in, in I know this is not much of a spoiler. I have to talk a little bit, you know, early on. um he kind of inadvertently gets one of the characters killed because he talks about this character to Big Daddy Kane's character. Yeah. And in Daughter of God, it's clear he realizes it and he's become, he, and as a guy who's sort of a cynical and probably vaguely racist, you know, Long Island cop who just comes to Washington Heights to, to be a cop, he starts caring about the people in the community a little bit. You know, he doesn't want anything to happen to Anna de Armas. You know, he doesn't know what's going on, but he knows he doesn't want her to fall prey to what happened to the other character earlier in the film. And that's all lost and exposed. I mean, again, it's a, it's a subtle movie. And once they just start cutting at it, yeah. you know, sloppily, I, I tracked down this film and I wanted to show it to my students. Um, and then I guess because of my credibility, because of the Budanovich thing, you know, I just, I just harassed him on social media. I sent him a message you know, via <laughs> both Twitter and Instagram, the same message. I just sent it both ways. And I assume other, otherwise I might come off as a kook, but having gotten the Bogdanovich film into the, the Museum of Modern Art, I guess he was willing to talk to me. So he responded to me and he's a very nice guy and he was willing to talk to my students. And he spoke for over an hour um, answering their questions about the film. Uh, but then I, I said, you know, I really think this is a film that should get out there at some level. I mean, isn't it about time? Because... Um, I don't know much. I mean, I know he works. I know he, he's working on scripts and he shoots commercials and things like that. But I mean, it's been about five or six years since this film came yeah. out. 
people only saw the cut version, so they keep saying, oh, that lousy film, <laughs> you know, that guy had his name taken off of. And I'm like, um, you know, this is the time. I mean, I mean, Keanu Reeves has endured and become a bigger star now than he perhaps was at any point in his yeah. career. I mean, you know, he wasn't starring in three-hour John Wick 4s, you know, 20 years ago. <laughs> he was a, um, he's currently, you know, one of the few stars left who I think some people are very much excited. Okay, yeah, John Wick, Keanu Reeves, I'm going. Um, and and Anna de Armas is obviously because of Knives Out and, and Blade Runner. Um, and then Marilyn, an actress taken seriously, and she's also beautiful and photogenic and people like her. So I'm like, I think this film, you know, somebody's going to want to show it. <laughs> you know, I think well, it's not a <laughs> um, and so sure enough, I was able to set up at the, uh, the Wisconsin Film First Festival in the U.S., 25th anniversary, um, last year I had showed Squirrels to the Nuts there after it played at the Museum of Modern Art, um, not as part of a film festival, but part of their cinematheque. Um, and so, yeah, so so th th we got a theatrical exhibition of it, which I'm fascinated to see because I've only seen it on my laptop, you know, in a, in a, in a, in that version that was on Reddit or whatever. What was it? Was it shot digitally, the film, or was it shot on film? And then is it a digital sort of version i'm of not sure i mean i mean i i'm not it's like i remember when i asked peter bogdanovich was squirrels to nuts shot digitally he's like i don't remember <laughs> i think but i mean again obviously high level hollywood films may be shot digitally and they just use treatments to make it look like film yeah. or whatever um so I'm, i don't know other than it's it's a it's a widescreen composition though it's two three five to one um composition and it's very cinematic looking to me, you know, when I, when I, I mean, I, did, I have shown it to my students. That's true. No, I did see it projected, you know, on my screen at school um, and it played quite well. But I, I the, the odd thing, the eccentric thing, I guess, about me, though, is that I keep doing these things and I have no stake in these films. I mean, I mean, I, I can say I'm not making any money off the of squirrels to the nuts. Lionsgate owns it. You know, they've been very pleasant about allowing me to screen it. Um, and you'd be surprised how many theaters ignore me despite me offering it to free offering it offering it for free to them <laughs> which is crazy you know especially it's Bogdanovich you know and <laughs> no that you know Owen Wilson and Jennifer Aniston but yeah two theaters in Boston just don't had never returned my emails <laughs> like, you know um and and so uh even with this it's like I'm sort of uh and this is said with humor the best publicist G has because I, I don't think he was thinking about trying to get this film back out there <laughs> I just said yeah. You know, damn it, let's get this thing out there. And know? this is a Lionsgate release as well, isn't it? it, it so fact, you're, it's very you're, similar. So I think Lionsgate Grindstone is, is the really sort of, um, I mean, comically, Grindstone might be my favorite company of all time because they make all these horrible Bruce Willis films and all these horrible uh, uh, John Cusack films. Um, but they did put out She's Funny That Way and they did put out two of Abel Ferrara's films, the Siberia and Zeros and Ones with Ethan Hawke. Yes. So I'm like, my favorite two filmmakers of all time are Peter Bogdanovich and Abel Ferrara. So I'm kind of like, Grindstone apparently is my kind of studio because they're the only they, guys. They've got a bit of taste somewhere. They just don't quite well, know what to do with it. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, what other, they have no, I mean, they have no taste. I, I think really just simply with Abel Ferrara, it's kind of like he makes films cheaply with Willem Dafoe and Ethan Hawke. And unlike G. Malik Linton, he probably said, oh, you can have my film, but you can't cut a frame of it. you know." Yeah. And, uh, and they just figured, why not? And, and I don't blame them for She's Funny that way because they weren't the producers. It was just a pickup for them. So in a sense, um, but generally they sell genre films, straight to video films yeah. with Travolta or Willis. And so Exposed was clearly, whether it was Grindstone or the producer, Exposed 
this is more up their alley. You know, yeah, we we, uh, we don't mind selling bad films as long as they're genre films. You know? Well, so, that's, yeah. So, yeah. There's, there's almost a Roger Corman essence to it where it's, you know, if it's a genre piece and I've got a star, I'll release well, it. You know. Except for it's, it's yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's so much different than Corman, though, because you have these actors. Well, for, the equipment also makes these films look very, fairly slick. I mean, you can tell sometimes the Atlanta, you know, locations are not Hollywood locations. And, but I'm just saying, like, you watch Paradise City and you got Travolta and Willis on a Hawaiian beach. You know, it doesn't look like Eat My Dust with Ron Howard. You no. know, it, it does, <laughs> but but it is. It's like the same, you know, the films are even cheaper, but unlike Corman, Corman had taste though. Corman had, you know, if, if you're always where he did like his films to have sort of a social message in them. And yeah. as long as they had a car chase and a breast every, you know, eight minutes or whatever. Um, these guys are definitely not supportive the way he was supportive of Peter Bogdanovich making targets. No. And they probably got a similar shooting schedule. I mean, these things are shot in like 15 days, aren't they? You know, yeah, you exposed know? he had a decent schedule yeah. the daughter of god he he had about 30 days so that's what i think that goes back to reeves um you know having reeves and sorvino and such on his first film um and reeves probably you know reeves is not hitting the point where he's like oh yeah let's do this in six days and throw yeah. it out he's not he's not doing bruce willis at all he's not showing up for a day i mean knock knock was a low budget film but he's very committed to it it's a serious film that he's yeah you know you can, you can tell he's committed in this is i mean because Ken Roos can be hit and miss performance-wise, you know, when, when he is not doing the, the shitty sort of action sequences, but he's very good in Daughter of God. Well, I think he's, again, I'm I'm a little uh, less hostile towards him than even you. I, I think he's usually very good. I think people, there's a reason he's lasted 35 years, too, in a sense, or whatever he's lasted as a lead. I mean, longer than that, I guess, River's Edge, you know, and... Um, Bill and Ted, I guess, were his early films, 85, 86. Yeah, we're not just 40 years now. Of, yeah. Of um, is that his understated kind of gentle quality that he has, although he can do action, um, makes him very unique. In other words, when he's doing Speed or even the first John Wick, he's certainly not Bruce Willis. He's Keanu Reeves. Yeah. He has his own. The whole point of Speed is he's a nice guy. <laughs> he's a sensitive, nice guy who's willing to die to try to save this bus, you know, and, 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 um, but I mean, I think he's done a lot of films. I don't know if you ever saw Henry's Crime. That's a film I like very much. No, is that the one directed by Arthur Miller's daughter? Is it's very possible, although I don't remember. It's James Caan is the co-star, and, and, yeah. and uh, um, it's a film about it's a it's sort of a, a light comedy, or, or I should say, a eccentric comedy about a bunch of thieves about committing a crime, and it was shot in upstate New York, um, not very far upstate. It was shot. Um, Terrytown, which um, which is not far from where I live, meaning I could about an hour, forty five minutes. Right. But but Reeves has this sort of sensitive quality where even in like Daughter of God, the first time you see him, he's a white cop beating a black uh, stoolie or whatever you want to call it, a black uh, informer or whatever, in front of his girlfriend and his child. And yet you can buy that he's not a completely amoral, you know, like yeah. like that he that he's a sensitive guy who's troubled. And so when he begins his sort of redemption arc, you buy it, even though you can also buy him, you know, beating the guy up early on. I mean, in a sense, he is a, um, and that's really John Wick, I guess, give John Wick some credit, I guess, speed too. But, you know, Keanu Reeves generally is not thought of as an action star. He has, he had speed and then John Wick has now sort of made him. Yeah, he's got all these bits in between, you know, even Bill and Ted and, you know. He's no, he does all sorts of stuff, you know, Parenthood. Yeah. I mean, whatever, you know, uh, my own private Idaho, you know. Um, but but now it's sort of like retroactively you can you know like John Wick has made him 
like a huge action star. It's like Liam Neeson at around 60. Yeah. Right? <laughs> he's, uh, he's suddenly kicking it in. But yeah, I, I I like, I mean, Reeves, I don't think Reeves is great at Shakespeare, you know, I can much ado about nothing. And the Bram Stoker's Dracula, I can see. But I generally think he's quite good, um, usually, in my opinion. In my yeah. opinion, that, that um, you know, Devil's Advocate, I think he's terrific in it. You know, yeah. because I, I think of all these different movies, and I'm like, yeah, he's good in that, he's good in the comedy, he's good in the drama. So Daughter of God is just, he does this sort of under underplaying which is what he's generally does but um it's in service to the project because mira servino is kind of overacting and i mean that in a good way she's very good in the yeah. movie but she's there's all these scenes where he's basically this paralyzed guy because half of him is decent half of him is loyal to his corrupt partner half of him is obsessed with his dead wife the other half is obsessed with the the live woman who's trying to seduce him you know? yeah. and he's kind of shut down um, but I think it's it's a choice, you know. It's like she's she's doing really theatrical, like Paul Servino type acting, you know. Yeah. And, and he underplays, and then it's like sort of by the end of the film, the film's going nuts, and he's kind of the sea of calm, you know. He's, he's yeah, sort of... which he's very good at, you know, in standing there as things get a bit weird, and you're like, but he's sort of the anchor for the audience, really. I think at that point. Yeah, no, and, and that's why the original the ending of Exposed bothered me because without giving it away, they add a little sequence which is very strange, which seems to be some sort of attempt at a strange happy ending, which doesn't make any sense. It's, I mean, they clearly went and filmed it at one point, but um, and then they recut the ending so Reeves doesn't even get to say some of the stuff he says in Daughter of God in the final sequence, which is really why I think Daughter of God, in its own way, is slightly more optimistic. It's a dark film, but he is in her corner. You know, Keanu Reeves is yeah. there, and they actually remove the dialogue where he says, it'll be okay, and things like that from, from Exposed. Um, and, and I just find the editing of Exposed, it's not quite she's funny that way where i felt like somebody hated bogdanovich was trying to turn this film into something else but i feel exposed was made by somebody who simply didn't understand no what daughter and, of god was attempting and to tried do. to turn it into an episode of law and order or something along those lines which is kind of what it feels like at times well i mean it's like because they're forced to i guess the angel still shows up in exposed but if I'm not mistaken, the angel shows up three or four more times in, in, in Daughter of God, and it's much more developed. Yeah. Um, and once you know the ending of Daughter of God and you watch those angel scenes again, it's it's quite impressive. It's unique and strange and weird, but exposed. It's sort of it's like they have one real appearance of the of and they revoice it again, so it's not speaking in Spanish, <laughs> which doesn't, you know. Um, and it's it's I remember it, they, they revoice it so it sounds like he's a it, it's like He's like, go find something for me. Like the, the angel gives her like some sort of weird direction. Yeah. Where in the original version, she, it's more abstract what he's saying. It's not you're not quite understanding why the angel's saying what it's saying, and it's that odd thing where they couldn't get rid of the angels completely. And I'm like, well, that's strange because everybody finds that stuff kind of interesting. Whether it, it's ultimately successful, yeah. it's so offbeat. Why would you? Who are you offending if you keep those angels in the movie? <laughs> you can only imagine they had a lot of conversations that go, how can we cut this out? You know, and looked yeah, at the no. footage and went, does this make sense? And realized they probably couldn't. No, I, I would argue that somebody there was like, yeah, can we make this as traditional as, as possible, I guess? Yeah. Um, but I feel that the, the heart of the film, and there is a heart to this film, is almost all in the footage they remove, whether whether it's uh, Anna de Armas's Isabel's characters, 
relationship to the community. Um, you know, almost all the characters have better stuff to do in, in the original version or they are in, in Linton's version, I should say. Well, that's, I mean, because it was, a, it's obviously he is a writer and he sat down, he went, right, this is the story I want to tell with these characters. And then obviously somebody went, right, let's just try and cobble something together that we think turns it into a thriller or that won't alienate the people who watch it. Not that I think they actually care when they get to that point, you know, where they just go, well, cut it well, down. Yeah, you read the reviews, the film is hated. It's got terrible yeah. reviews justifiably. I mean, you go on the IMDb, I think it's like a 2.3 out of 10 or something like that. And it's like, you know, Daughter of God, somebody's going to hate. It's a 130 deliberately, minute deliberately paced film um, that demands concentration and is, although I like this, because again, I just, I just feel it's sort of like what Pauline Kale said once. Um, she gave a good review to Everybody Wins, which was sort of a disaster when it came out. So Deborah Winger and Nick Nolte. I don't know if you ever saw it. No, I haven't seen it, but uh, well, yeah, fair enough. I love that film. I recommend it heartily. Go find it. You'll like it. Arthur Miller wrote the script. Carl um, Carl Reich or Carl, the, the guy who made Who, who, who Stopped the Rain and R-E-I-S-D, uh, Reich, I guess, Carl, Carl Reich. Um, great director, Deborah Winger. And, and it got, it opened without a press screening, which, which in America means they didn't bother paying to show yeah. it to the critics in advance, which is usually reserved for Van Damme action films and things like that. You know, I mean, even Exposed got a press screening. You know? and so, and so, so the film got a bomb from Leonard Malton, which was the big sort of book we all read in America growing up that had the film reviews in it. Yeah. It got a terrible review in the times. Pauline Kael actually reviewed it months after it came out. This is how much she felt for the film. She's like, I was sick when this came out but I want you people to know about it. And she, she was never an Arthur Miller fan. And she's like, but this is a really kinky, I, I think she meant like eccentric, cool script by Arthur Miller, uh, where he's dealing with his Marilyn Monroe problem. And, and that's how she defined the film, because it, it involves a very complicated, almost schizophrenic, beautiful woman as its main character, the Deborah Winger character. And what Kale says is there was a time back in the 70s where audiences would have let the director lead them around. That they yeah. trusted something was happening and this is a film that she felt that i agree if this came out in 1975 they'd be talking about it right alongside the conversation in nashville and cisco pike you know but in 1989 after a decade of test screenings and producers like bruckheimer just you know making really infantile films like Flashdance and top gun which may be likable, but Flashdance is really just an R-rated Cinderella story, you know? And, yeah. and Top Gun is a pretty childish look at the military in a sense, you know? I think she just felt audiences no longer had the ability. And I think we're feeling this even really bad these days. Oh, yeah. And that's why I think Daughter of God, like I said before, it feels like a film that could have come out 10 years before, or like 20 years before, sorry, you know, in, in, in the mid-90s. And people would have accepted it. Would it have been a huge hit? Probably not but it would have been a well-regarded sort of mid sort of. I, I, I'm not, we're not even so concerned about a hit. It's almost like but yeah, the idea of back at a time when a movie like Sling Blade could make $40 million yeah. or, or, you know, Hal Hartley could make 10 films. You know, I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure I agree that, that um, it, it, it goes back to what McDonavish said about the last picture show when it got a terrible press screening, Bert Schneider, who was a sensitive producer, said, let's go find a better audience. You know, that's literally what he said. He said Don't cut a frame of it. Let's, let's show it to some a better audience. That if Daughter of God had a producer who understood it, it might have helped a little bit. Yeah. But you had even, ten, even 10 years before, you know, if you, if you took it before the, the Marvel era, you know, you, you were still getting kind of quirky films that might have found an audience, but it was like, 
yeah, let's just throw it in with those, like we're saying, the straight to video action things with those middle aged guys shooting guns. <laughs> I mean, I agree. I mean, I, I don't even think because technically, although since COVID things have been a real mess. I mean, it's not inconceivable to me that if somehow he'd gotten this film set up at A24, it could have been a very different story. Yeah. You know, that, they, that even if it wasn't a hit, it would have had a proper release and, and G. Malik Linton would have had his own name on the film and probably gotten a second film yeah. relatively easily. I don't want to say easy. Nothing's easy, but... Which, which speaking of, what, yeah. why has he not made another film in the last eight years or seven years since... Well, I mean, I, I again, um, I don't want to speak for him. He's not yeah. here. Um, I mean, he's. I, I, do, I do know. I think I'm. A, you know, he's married. His wife is an off-Broadway uh, theater director. She's made. She's. She's directed some plays in the last few years. Her, his son. He has two sons who I believe are college age, and I actually think they do some modeling too. They do some runway uh, right. modeling. Um, and you know, when we talk, and I know he's. For example, he's coming to the film festival to to talk about the film at the premiere. But he is shooting a commercial that week. He had to juggle some things to make it happen. So, so he's he's working. He, he, he's not working like as a carpenter or something. Like yeah. That. Um. But he I, I would not also be bothered think, with the hassle of of having to deal with the politics of. Well, that's why I think this. I mean, again, I hope he gets more work because I think he's a terrific filmmaker, an interesting filmmaker, and 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 um. But I think probably until people see this in a in a in a larger. Well, I, I like to think my article helps just because now it's officially out there. I mean, again, yeah. again, his premiere helps. But I mean, he was basically known as a guy who took his name off of his first picture. I have to assume some producers are like, whoa. <laughs> you know, like, a bit of a diva that's not working. I mean, well, it's just, it's yeah. just sort of like Bogdanovich actually sticking with She's Funny that way, which I think was a mistake. But he also said, if I left, if I walked out of another film after having trouble with Mask, after, you know, who was going to hire me at 80, you know, or 75 or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I think, he, I, 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 so I think the idea was that Linton did the right thing because Exposed is ridiculous. And I don't want to say karma, but obviously he was able to get his film out, and it's been you know available on the internet. But now it's getting a larger, you know, sort of sort of release where, you know, it officially exists. You know, once it's played at a film festival on a screen, you know, it's sort of like you know. Yeah, and presumably and, and, there will be an audience now because, I mean, presumably it's just coincidence. But you're coming off the back of John Wick Four, so you're you're riding that sort of crest of the wave of Keanu Reeves. Well, I think, but I also think again too. Part of the thing is, I think there's plenty of people at a film festival who would be excited by a new Anna de Armas film too, you know. Yeah. And uh, and the the idea that basically you have 40 minutes are reinstated and 39 of them involve her, you know, or sort of a. Um, and and again, I think that it's not dissimilar to Blonde because this character goes through a lot of difficulties yeah. during the course of this film. Um, that being said, I'm not trying to scare people off. As dark as this film is in certain ways. It's much more traditionally watchable than Blonde, I think, which is going to be a real endurance test for, for certain people. I mean, it, yeah, it's, it's a happen. lot of heart. You know, there there are there are scenes and there's a warmth to them. You know, which considering the arc of the film is quite traumatic, a lot of the scenes there's there's humanity, there's warmth. You know, there's. Well, that's that's uh, like the film recognizes, like you know, you have the Dominican family and you have how her brother-in-law is an ex-con and how her husband is in the military, which again, when you're living in a very poor, you know, community, you know, that's one of the ways somebody honorably tries to get ahead. The pay isn't great, but it's an honorable job and you could lead somewhere. Um, unfortunately also means he's off in Iraq for the entirety of the film while, while she's trying to deal with her situation. Um, and, and that you see though, 
like the like the stuff they cut out it's all the stuff where you see how much her husband loves her and she loves him and if things could go right you know yeah she's a, she's a religious woman in this film is not you know you you have these born again christian films that are often terrible and heavy handed yeah. and then some, you often have films which you know critique religion which i'm not bashing per se it should be critiqued but i'm saying this was kind of an odd film because you know, you know, she she's religious and she keeps misreading things throughout the film. And yeah. but I don't think the film is anti-religion because she's also the the most positive aspect of her community. You know, she has a, she has a good-looking man, or why would I say a wonderful a good man who loves her deeply. She has friends. She she is respected. Um, and I think the film respects the role religion plays in that community, and that's why the film is a bit critical too when things kind of go bad for her the people who all turn to her to be their religious sort of like a, you know, yeah, point man kind of turn their backs on her. And I think the film is critical of them you know, in a sense, you know? Yeah. Um, and so when you say heart, it's interesting because the film is dark, but I think the film presents a multi-layered world. Um, and by showing that it actually makes the darkness more tragic. Whereas in exposed, I never really get involved. I mean, she really just seems to be this, this, person who lives with her in-laws because her husband's off somewhere <laughs> they don't seem to yeah. be particularly thrilled <laughs> with her <laughs> that's it there, there's no relationship really that builds from it it's just sort of yeah. there and 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 for example uh, the, the big scene i was mentioning where the little boy is is playing with the video game after the whole rest of the family is left like in the longer version i mean i, I forget if it's exactly the same thing but the brother-in-law who's clearly very close to her He's the last one to leave the table as well. Um, and in the longer version, that means something. You know, you're wondering how he's going to yeah. act. But he ultimately walks away. In the shorter version, I just don't feel any of the characters other than her at all really have any definition beyond, you, you know, know, the plot points they're needed for. Yeah, and they're really sort of chopped down as well, you know, because the yeah. scenes played out, they'd more sort of width and bandwidth to sort of get to know them I mean, and just, everything you know her yeah. mother, the scene with her mother where she wants her to buy the plant i mean just, it's so much is cut out and again it's sort of like the idea yeah we keep we keep as much of either the violence or the the dramatic points that are more traditionally you know okay this yeah. happened that, and they remove all the grace notes all the character depth um and so uh, hopefully again and this is again i don't own this film i just set the screening up and i'm going to try to set a screening up in new york city uh, shortly after, uh, largely because I live in New York City, so it's the kind of yep. place I can set something up. In. <laughs> but uh, um, I'm just curious about, like, you know, if if it seems to me though that if they were willing to spend, to me, it's almost like if somebody said, "Hey, Anna De Armas will do a movie for you," you know, and it'll cost two hundred thousand dollars to make. Almost everybody would be like, "Sure," because we can make that money back. And to me, it strikes me that, like, why not just put some money in, get this version out there? Because I think. A lot of people would show interest in this who ignored Exposed. Yeah. And a lot of people would watch it knowing it's different than Exposed. That kind of well, that's it. And you could even whack out a double disc Blu-ray where you've got two versions of the movie on it and go right, compare and contrast. All you know. I meant is I'm, I'm not an expert at this stuff, but it seems to me that he has a finished movie by, by putting maybe getting a more concrete score, you know, music score, yeah. that's, you know, not a temp score adding a couple transition shots, putting credits on the beginning and then, yeah, it'll cost him, I'll assume six figures, you know, low, you know, something like that. But I'm like, I, I don't know. It just strikes me. It's like a low budget film. You'll make money, put this out on DVD. You yeah. know, it's like, if, if Coppola can put out that Twix recut. Um, yes. Have you seen I, it yet? I have. <laughs> is, it, is it worth watching? 
I don't know what to say. I mean, I, you know, because I, I kind of admired the first one. I didn't hate it or anything. It was just this eccentric, almost like little home movie he made. Yeah. You know, um, and I kind of liked how goofy it was. I Meaning, I know it deals with some issues, but it's sort of this black comedy again. That like, it's not like pretentious, like The Godfather. You know, it's like no, it's like Val Kilmer plays this version. It takes a while before I even noticed anything that was different. Now, at the towards the end, he cuts some things out. Um, and yes, I mean, a, as a mature film watcher, I sort of watch it as its own thing. And like, okay, this ending does have a different feel than the other ending that I remember. Um, but yeah, no, it, unless, I mean, as he's Coppola, you should probably see it, but it's not like, it's not Squirrels to the Nuts. It's basically yeah. the same film. He cuts out a couple more minutes of it, you know? And so I just sort of feel, well, if, if he can do that, then why wouldn't Lionsgate throw out, you know, a, a major Anna de Armas performance, you know, yeah. that and then Keanu Reeves, you know, well, and then Keanu Reeves will always help you sell it. Yeah. But uh, but it is true that in a sense, although he comes off better, his part makes more sense. He does more interesting things, like wear her wedding ring as opposed to his own wedding ring. Well, yeah, um, not much of his footage was missed. His footage is just sort of rearranged and things. But Anna de Armas, it's like it's like drastic what they did to her. Yeah. I mean, it's really, it's really. Well, that's um, it. you you would think. They could sell it to Amazon and Apple, whoever, you know, decides to fork up. I mean, they give seventy-five million or whatever to Zack Snyder to finish. It's. It, I guess it's not my place. Uh, you know, yeah. obviously it's not my place. But I mean, one one story he did tell me though is when they originally they were gonna change the film. He actually did say that they offered him the movie that if he could pay for it, they would sell him back the movie. Um, and I forgot the number. If it was eleven million or six million or something like that. <laughs> But no, 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 but no, but he, but he, because I, I don't, you know, I don't know all the stories, but he had money in Europe. The same people who ended up um, doing the, the, cut. the recut. Apparently, he was able to get together whatever the dollar number that was needed. But then it turned out the producer had done all these sort of tricky Byzantine sales around the world, so Lionsgate didn't have, you know, in other words, like they couldn't really sell it back. You know, it was just the whole thing where Lionsgate didn't really care. They were like, right. okay, you want to buy it back? We, we don't want to have anything to do with this weird art film. We'll sell it back to you if you got the money. So it wasn't like they were angry at him, but it was also that he couldn't raise, or yeah. at the last minute, they wouldn't, they couldn't do it because of legal issues. Um, but that just leads me to say, though, that again, though, that means, you know, the, fil the film, it's like, I, I don't quite know what happened to Squirrels to the Nuts either. I and mean, Peter died, which obviously made it tricky, I think. You know, he as long yeah. as he was there, you know, he was running the ship. Once he passed, and I don't mean this to come out the wrong way, I just don't know. Is it Louis Stratton or is it his children? I mean, I don't even know who's really in charge of the film at this point um, because I'm not in their confidence the way I was in, you know, in, in Peter's. Um, but I would just think, why isn't Lionsgate just finishing this off and getting it out there? I mean, you have, you know, J yeah. Jennifer Aniston, Catherine Hahn, Owen Wilson, these are all still hot actors, you know. Um, That's my it. Screenings, I, yeah, the, the reviews are great at my screenings, you know, so yeah. it's not. It boggles the mind that people have first been willing to bastardize these films and then throw out a yeah. substandard film that you can't imagine anyone thinks is good, you know, whereas, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then you, you go, well, you've got another, I mean, going back 20 years when they did those, the, the Schroeder version of The Exorcist and the, the Red right. Egg Garden, you know, it doesn't hurt to throw the, both of them out there and go, you know, watch. Make I, mean, that's what, I mean, I'm going to be controversial here, but you know, Paul Schrader's done a great job sort of fixing his career or, or, or shaping his career in the 21st century because for my, for my dad's generation, who, you know, was there in the 70s, he was always considered very hit and miss as a director. You know, he was a yeah. great writer, and then he directed Blue Collar, which was interesting, but and then he directed, you know, 
American Gigolo, which was not entirely beloved. A lot of people thought that wasn't a very good film. I like it very much. But I mean, going through his career, and when I saw, I went to theatrically to see the Paul Schrader Exorcist. I did see it in Manhattan theatrically. I thought it was kind of dull. I mean, I thought it was ambitious and well-intentioned yeah. and smart, but it wasn't like Exorcist 2 where John Boorman made kind of a crazy film, but I'm, in, I'm fascinated by it. I thought Exorcist Dominion or whatever it was called, yeah. or Paul Schrader, I just thought it was kind of, a, I could see why Universal's like, if we put this thing out here, it's it's not going to... Yeah, it's, but it said that the Rennie Harlan version wasn't much better, you know, it's sort of trashier. Oh yeah, I, I, the Harland version isn't good, but the Harland version did end up making about sixty million in the U.S. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if the uh, the Schrader version. I mean, I'm not saying they should have recut it, but all I meant was people forget ten years ago Paul Schrader was making that Lindsay Lohan Canyons film with yes. a porno star. Crowd, crowd funded as well, wasn't it? So yeah, I mean, I'm just saying that he that he's a guy who has done a very good job because his last few films have been excellent. I mean, I've yeah. personally been. Um, but I, it was just interesting because I mean I've always thought I've never thought I was guaranteed a good film when Paul Schrader, made one. No. you know, you know, you know, Light Sleepers, excellent. He's got a bunch of them, or, or Affliction. I'm not, you know, I mean, there's plenty of them though where I'm just like, oh, you know, doesn't work for me. Yeah, um, I know. I, I thought that the card counter was fantastic. You know, yes, yes, yes. You know, possibly one of the best films of that year. Was it last year? The year before? Oh, yeah, I no, and, for, and the the first reform too. I thought yeah. was, was very good. So I'm looking forward to the the new one. Hopefully it. Uh, Oh, I always, don't get me wrong, I'll watch them all because he's the real yeah. deal. He's a serious artist trying his best. But I just meant that, like, for example, Dog Eat Dog with Nicolas Cage and Defoe. I didn't think it was a great movie. I no. Was, you know, that, that was, the, uh, of his recent run, that's probably the, the weakest of them. You know, but, um, you know, and, and so I mean, we're sort of digressing other than I can understand sometimes a studio perhaps. But that, that's a different thing, though, because they did get Rennie Harlan to reshoot the film and then they put their guns behind it. They didn't release it. No, it was like, yes, we want to have an exploitable yeah. exploitation film. I don't know why you spend what must be a couple million or whatever recutting squirrels to the nuts and doing reshoots, then just dumping it. You know, it just, yeah. it's, it's, it, it seems that's, I, I don't get it. You know, imagining people are going to think it's some Jennifer Aniston rom-com or whatever it might be, you know. And I don't want to speak for Keanu Reeves either, but I also think Reeves might say, you know, guys, if you were going to sell this as a movie with me with a gun on the cover, I would have asked for five million more. You know, in other words, yes. you know, like I'm doing this as a character part to help this young director. He, I have no idea what he made, but just to make a random number, it, let's say he takes a million dollars for this or whatever. You know, if it, if it's going to be an an action film, he's like, give me nine million. You know, give me yeah. ten million. Well, that's <laughs> it. Okay. Yeah, and presumably he's got sign off on the the artwork. You would think, well, but yeah, I mean, at some point, and and don't get me wrong, I'm just saying that. But since he apparently did go to Linton, Linton told me this and said, "Get your cut back out there." Yeah, it wasn't like he was like, "Oh yeah, you know, I, I'm, I, you know, yeah, put this out as an action film." I I don't know what he has um, contractually, but um, but remember too, though, I mean, I'm, he was big, but he's bigger now than he was. Yeah, uh, seven years this, ago. this was shot after John Wick. It didn't come out. It wasn't shot before, and then it came out after, or. I'm not sure about that, but I mean, remember the first John Wick was kind of a surprise hit, and it did yeah. make three hundred million dollars. I think it made like sixty or seventy, but then of course the home video. Yeah, I, I don't even think. I think it did like forty something U.S. You know, it wasn't, yeah, you may be right. And so yeah. maybe internationally it did well, but it's one of those films that obviously grew in the rearview mirror, and I have no problem with that. I still laugh because that first film, really, the gag was somebody shoots his dog and he gets yeah. revenge. And then when the film was a hit, suddenly it's this universe of assassins and all this stuff. But I'm like, you know, I like John Wick too, but I'm like, it, it strikes me that it's like they're, it's it's like, you know, uh, Empire Strikes Back where suddenly Luke and Leia are brother and sister, which is yes. fine with me. 
but you know they're kissing in the first movie. I don't think George yeah. Lucas had that all planned out. No, it's it's easy to sort of say that retrospectively and go, hey, you know, I had it planned when they don't. Um, yeah, one you know, one second. I got to, uh, Neil. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm being interviewed. I'm being interviewed. But sorry. Sorry, about we're, that. we're actually coming to the end of my. Yeah, end. no, no, I think I, I I go on and on. I know that, but Same you're going to cut thing. this down. No, I, I I sort of just want to wrap it up. Sort of. So, James, where is this going to be screened? Okay, this film is going to be screened at the Wisconsin Film Festival on April fifteenth. It's the twenty fifth anniversary Wisconsin Film Festival, which is, I guess, sponsored by the University of Ma uh, Wisconsin Madison, which does have a big film program. And uh, in case you're wondering, the movie Back to School with Rodney Dangerfield shot there. <laughs> they they used. Uh, um, but yeah, uh, it's going to be at it's going to be Saturday, April fifteenth, with me and the director G. Malik Linton in attendance, and we'll be talk. I'll be introducing the film and then talking to him, um, I guess after it or before it. Um, and it's it's a serious film festival. The film festival runs for over a week, and they must be showing eighty five or ninety films. There's multiple films playing at the same time, and international premieres and things. It's a, um, and so yeah, so so this film is is playing there, which I think just by by that kind of. Um, legitimizes the film if i may be so yeah. bold like this cut is real because this film festival you know said yes we want to show that and, and and have the director flown out to talk so i'm hoping that you know it's not my film it's really more up to other yeah. people I did, I, I did my part but it's like i'm letting this you know i'm the midwife here i'm pushing the baby yeah, and do you know what you, you sort of you, you threw it my way and I, I sort of watched both versions and i was sort of impressed because i mean i remember it coming out way back when and kind of thought it was just a crappy straight to video action yeah. flick and then looking at the two different versions it really is it is much more than that yeah and i just i just laugh because it is totally again i wasn't you know people were aware of this but you know, six years after the fact, I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> whatever happened to that Keanu Reeves film I heard about, people talked about for about 10 minutes before it uh, it had disappeared into the, um, and the timing just worked out. I mean, literally, I think timing is largely everything. The film is playing, I, no doubt, I say this with all um, positivity, it doesn't hurt that Keanu Reeves and Anna de Armas are very popular this year. <laughs> you know? they, so, they couldn't be bigger, you know. You know? Um, so, so, so again, I, I would like to see if I can set up a New York screening with G because G lives in Brooklyn. He, he is a New York, uh, filmmaker. Um, but then beyond that, you just hope somebody, you know, Lionsgate or somebody, you know, um, cause again, I'm just doing this because I like movies and I'm sick and tired of how movies yeah. are getting. In fact, yeah, I am working on something now. I won't quite talk about it yet, but I'm trying to get a movie screened. Um, it wasn't recut, but it's sort of lost, you know, the film it's, and, and, um, I've got some leads and I'm going to try to use my credibility that I'm getting from these other films right. um, to get it screened again. It's a film that, that largely can't be shown because of music rights again, the, 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 the oh morass God. that destroys all of cinema. <laughs> these stupid yes. And TV shows that are all stuck yeah. in limbo because no one thought that's to clear the music right. for 30 years in the future. And the lawyers yeah. latch onto that. Yeah. Um, yeah, for example, this is totally digression, but I was a big fan of Chris I I still am a fan of Chris Isaac and the singer, you know, Wicked Game yeah. and he was in the David Lynch films. And I don't know if it played over there, but there was a Chris Isaac show on cable about 15 years ago. No. Um, no, about 20 years ago, 2002. Played for three seasons and he plays himself, but it's a humorous show. It's it's sort of like, you know, just about like the, the life of a rock star. But again, what happened was every episode, Cindy Lauper or Metallica or Gloria Estefan, and they would be doing duets with him. And I'm pretty sure they never got the proper music rights because it has never been put out on DVD. Yeah. It's never Crazy. been shown ever since. And I'm just kind of like, 
you know, it was a big, it was a big show, Showtime, yeah. it was a big cable network. It was one of their shows for three years. So I'm just saying that ultimately back to um, what I'm up to is there's a film though that alas has serious music rights issues, uh, but we're going to see if we can get it screened anyway, you know, get it out there. You know. Well, I look forward to seeing what you're going to do. But James, thank you so much for, I, yeah. I always have a blast when I talk with you. So it's, it's brilliant. Perfect. No, I'm glad. I mean, I know I talk a lot, but you can edit it down to the good Oh, stuff. no, don't worry. I put it on as is. The more the merrier. <laughs> All right. So then have a good one. Thanks. Great. Yeah. Cheers. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Movies in Focus podcast. You can download it wherever you get your podcasts. And I hope that you tell your friends about it. That's it for this time. And I'll see you at the movies.